All right, so I wanted to just uh, get into the message today, and I'm starting a new series called Mirrors. It's about identity. And the reason why this is an important uh, element of God's word to dive into is because when you and I are living from a healthy sense of identity, we experience a lot less inner turmoil. We experience a lot less of that sense of pressure and dissonance and tension. And we're able to embrace and carry out whatever we have responsibilities for in a better way. That's just the reality. And so learning to live from a healthy place of identity is part of our spiritual development. And so I want to talk about that in this series. But in order to live from a healthy sense of identity, we have to be able to deal with and acknowledge and confront the distortions to a healthy identity that may be a part of our story at some level. So uh, speaking of identity, I want to share a dream with you. Is that okay? Can I do that? Okay, but it's not a dream like, believe. It's, it's more of like one of those recurring dreams that keeps happening, and it's a little bit more like a nightmare. Does anyone here have a recurring dream? Like, it just every so often, that one dream comes again and again and again. Okay, so a few of us. I have this recurring dream, and this might be TMI for some of you, but my, my recurring dream is this. It's like, it's a church gathering. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> it's a church gathering, and all the people are gathering, and I'm kind of sitting over here somewhere, and then suddenly I realize, oh, shoot, I'm supposed to be up there giving a talk. And then I, I, I run up to the platform because I remember I'm supposed to be up there giving a talk. And I get up to the platform and then I realize that I'm completely buck naked. <laughs> and I'm standing there in my birthday suit and people are like, <gasps> like looking like that. And I'm running around like looking and seeing if there's a jacket or if there's a hat or if there's somebody's purse or something. I, I run back up and I'm standing there like, you know, covering myself and people are shaking their heads and I'm standing there. And then I realize... I don't have anything to say. I don't even have a message. And I'm fumbling through papers and wondering, like, is there anything I can say? That is a, a, a preacher's nightmare is what that is. And, and what that dream is about is it's about identity. And it's, it's actually an identity distortion. And here's why. Because the truth is that God has called me to do what I do. And he's equipped me to do what I do. He's filled my heart with his word and his message. He's covered me with his own presence and his righteousness. And his calling is on my life. That's the truth. And the distortion says, no, 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 you don't have what it takes. You aren't enough. That's what that dream is. It's a you aren't enough kind of a dream. But God's word over my life is you're, you're all that you need to be for what I've called you to do. <laughs> and so it's important to, for me to be able to acknowledge when I wake up in the morning with a dream like that, that was a lie. That was a distortion of identity. And the truth is, I am who you say I am, like we were singing this morning. And I can do what you've called me to do. And in Christ Jesus, I'm enough. Because he, he, if I'm in him and his spirit is in me, how could I not be? Are you with me? Yes. So we've got to deal with the distortions. Couple, uh, no, it was, it was last summer. I took the family back to Iowa where my relatives live, and we went to a, an old school amusement park out there called Arnold's Park. And at that amusement park, they had one of those classic fun houses, you know, the trippy floors and angles and mazes. And then it had this section with all the fun house mirrors. And we probably stood in the section with the fun house mirrors for 45 minutes or so, because it was just so much fun to look at those funhouse mirrors. And the reason it's so fun is because you look at those mirrors and it warps your sense of who you are. And, and it's funny. And so it's kind of like this. Like I got this 
this mirror here, you, you stand in front of that, that, oh, there he is. Oh, look at that wide face. That's who I am. I'm a wide face guy. <laughs> look at those wide teeth. That's who I am. I got weird, crooked, wavy teeth. <laughs> I got long arms. That's who I am. That's my identity. It's a four-foot arm and a weird old, big old nose. And if you look at the distortion mirror long enough, you can start to believe that's who I am. Look at those teeth. <laughs> It's not working, is it? I don't know, even know it's working. But the, you get the point, right? If you, if you look at a distortion mirror long enough, it warps your sense of who you are. But I'm not talking about fun houses anymore. I'm talking about the reality that we sometimes embrace in our journey in this life, false identifiers about ourselves. They're distortions. To live from a healthy sense of identity, here's what we need. And by the way, I'd like to ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to spend a little bit of time there in Ephesians chapter 2. But to live from a healthy sense of identity, we need to be able to acknowledge our story, what has shaped our story. We need to be able to acknowledge the moments that marked us. We need to be able to acknowledge the people who, who, who put some emblem on us. We need to be able to have an awareness of what we've lived through and how it shaped us, the good, the bad, the ugly. That's part of how we learn to live from a healthy sense of identity is knowing those things, but that's not it. We also need to develop a deep awareness of who God is because he's our creator and we're created in his image. And so the more we can develop an awareness of who our God is, the healthier we become because we're made in his image. We also need to develop a a consciousness of what God is like and what God says about who we are. That's how we learn to live with a healthy sense of identity. So we're going to spend a little bit of time in Ephesians chapter 2, because in this part of the Bible, we get all of the above. And so I want us to just go there now to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's spend some time in, in, in God's word together. It said, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. And by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. I love that it says that God has created us anew in Christ Jesus. This is a little bit of revelation about what God is like, and what God is like is he's transformative. 
God is in the business of changing our identity. He doesn't leave us like we were and leave us to just struggle with it. He changes us. He makes us new. Everyone say new. new. All right. Anybody ever do something new with your hair at some point in your life? Because you, you hit a moment, and you just had to show that moment on your head. Anybody, show of hands. Changed your hair, did something new, weird with your hair. Okay. For me, the weird hair stuff started when I was in middle school. Um, I started hanging out with these guys that were listening to a bunch of punk music. So it was, you know, Black Flag and the Sex Pistols and hardcore. And, and so I became a punk. And so I shaved off half my head. And then the other half was blue and hanging to the side. Now, that's like normal. Everybody does that. But back in the early 90s, that was out there. And so I'd look in the mirror, and I'd look at that shaved head and that blue, and I'd think, that's who I am. I'm a punk. Boom, boom, bang. You know, I'm a punk. That's my identity. And after a while, I started hanging out with the townies after work, and they were all hippies, you know, long hair. Okay, they were second-run hippies, right? My generation was a little late to that party. But, uh, you know, so so I became a hippie. I got in touch with my inner pacifist, grew the hair long, and, uh, you know, wore the obligatory Birkenstocks, even in the cold New Jersey winters, with the wool socks and the the belt that you tied and it dangled down, and, you know, the works, right? And, And the great thing is that for me, at that time, VWs were going on 20, 20, 25 years, so they were still roadworthy, and you could get them for like two grand or so, so got the VW, had the long hippie hair and the Birkenstocks, and hung out at Grateful Dead concerts in the parking lot, and did things that will not be repeated here in this uh, environment. Anyway, that was the hippie days, and long story short, I, I ended up, you know, discovering Jesus. I should say recommitting my life to Jesus, for real, uh, in, in middle of college or so, and It seemed like back in New Jersey, if you were a Christian, the Christians were all like buttoned up and tucked in and clean cut and preppy. So the hair had to go, right? I was part of a new crew now. So I got into the clean cut, preppy look, tucked in, buttoned up. And that was, you know, bought the loafers, traded in the sandals. And anyway, that was kind of a new shift in identity. And for a while, that seemed to be the thing. I came out to California, this is 19 years ago now. And uh, the, the buttoned up, tucked in loafers thing wasn't working out here. So the, I, I went in for the, uh, the frosted tips. Does anybody remember the spiky hair? Frosted tips. Yeah. I know I'm not the only one who went there. <laughs> but it was a new look, a new identity to mark a new season. And, and you know, it's, it's fun to be able to look at our life story. And, and, and I can laugh at the superficial aspect of it in terms of the hair But I also know that each of those were different seasons, where there are different things going on in my story, in my heart. And all of those things shaped me. They're they're part of what has made me who I am, but I'm not defined by those things anymore. I think what God wants is for you and I to be who we really are now. And to be who I really am, I need to acknowledge who I was If you're taking notes, you can write that down. That's stop number one. But to be who I really am... I acknowledge who I was. Yeah, I was a punk for a while. I was a a, a hippie, wannabe hippie for a while. And and I was a clean-cut preppy for a while. But those things don't define me. They are part of my story. They are part of what I lived through. But they aren't the definition of me. I'm created anew. And so I've got to be able to acknowledge who I was 
But it also gives me the freedom to say, and I'm not that anymore, and it's okay to not be that anymore. And some of you need to hear that. You've boxed yourself in by an identifier that was something that's a vestige of your past, and it's like God today is saying, come on, you can be much more than that. Would you come out into the clear with me? Watch me recreate you anew. So to be who I really am, I acknowledge who I was. But, you know, just talking about the, the hair and Stuff like that is a bit superficial. And what the scriptures here call us to do is to go a little deeper than that. And the scriptures here call me to acknowledge who I was at a much deeper level. And it's in verse 1 where it begins. It said, once, John, you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. And as much as I don't maybe want to talk about that on a sunny Sunday morning, that's the truth. That's part of who I was. I was dead. I was dead to the reality that there's a God who loved me and wanted good things for my life. I was dead to the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that could empower me to live a different way. I was dead to the grace of God that could come in and teach me how to live a different way. I was dead to the word of God, which reveals what God wants for people. I was dead to the reality of what God could do with a human being whose heart is yielded to him. I was dead. So were you, apart from Jesus. I mean, this is just the reality. This is God saying, can you acknowledge who you were too? You were dead. You were dead. But it's not just dead. It said in verse 2, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Let's just pause for a minute. I don't particularly remember any mornings where I woke up and said, hmm, I wonder what the devil wants me to do today. You know, I didn't think of it that way. Probably most of us didn't think of it that way. But there is a way in which that's exactly what's happening when we're living apart from God. It said, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So I was dead, but I was also disobedient. That's just part of the reality of my story apart from Jesus. I was dead. I was disobedient. I refused to obey God. I refused to obey the ways of God that are full of love and justice and mercy and righteousness. I refused to do it God's way. I was dead and I was disobedient. And here's what we need to receive, that disobedience to God is partnership with the devil. That's a hard thing to receive. We, we thought, no, 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 I was just having a good time, just going and doing a little bit of party, and that's all. But God's saying, yeah, but there is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who are disobedient, a spirit. And it's not the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of the, of the devil. When we disobey God, we're tacitly making an invitation to partnership with the devil. I think it's important that we acknowledge that that may be part of our past life story. That's who I was. I was dead. I was disobedient, but it goes on. In verse 3, it said, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Everyone say sinful nature. Sinful nature. nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. I was dead. I was disobedient, and, and I was diseased with sin. That's the thing. I mean, the sinful nature, the The other translations use the word the flesh to describe this. And it's a reality that if we're going to be who we really are, we've got to come to terms with. 
Because otherwise, if we don't acknowledge that there's something called the sinful nature or the flesh, we might think, well, it's, I feel it, so I might as well just do it, and then I'm going to just be it. When, when we're called to something different, we're called to recognize, no, I'm going to acknowledge who I was. I was dead. I was disobedient. I was diseased with sin. And that's not who I am. Everyone say, that's who I was. Yeah. I was dead. I was disobedient. I was diseased with sin. Say it again. That's who I was. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves that's not who we are anymore. Otherwise, we give ourselves license to keep living as though that's who we are, when it isn't. So so we keep reading, and it says in verse 4, but God, who is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. So yeah, we just recited together who we were. I was dead in my sin. I was disobedient to the ways of God and actually in a partnership with the devil that I didn't even know about. And I was diseased with sin. But two words change everything. In verse four, we put verse four back up on the screen and it says, say it with me, but God. Yep, you were dead. But God, yep, you were disobedient to God, and you should have deserved every punishment that was headed your way, but God. Yes, you were diseased with sin, and you couldn't fix it for yourself. Say it with me. But God, this is the best news ever, that we have a God who loves us too much to leave us in our dead, disobedient, diseased with sin state. He loves us too much, and he decided by virtue of who he is, to come in for the rescue. That's what we read here. And so what I'm challenged to do is to be who I really am. I, I accept what God has done for me. I accept what God has done for me. This is pivotal. We accept what God has done for us. Again, it said, but God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, say this part with me, say it. He gave us life. He gave you life. This is freeing. Because when you understand that God gave you life, that it wasn't that you finally deserved it, or that you finally measured up, or that you finally polished off the surface enough, but that instead, God just gave it to you, you are free from the pressure of thinking that you have to keep trying to maintain it because it didn't come that way to begin with, that you are a recipient of a gift of life. Say it, he gave us life. Come on, say it with a smile because it's good news. Say it, he gave us life. He didn't make you earn it. He didn't make you work for it. He didn't make you clean up your act and prove that you deserve it. He just gave it to you. That's so good. I would be shouting amen if I was listening to this message right now. But I'll shout it because I'm saying it. Amen. Yeah, yeah. He's so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. Verse 6, for he raised us from the dead. Say he raised us. He raised us us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him. Say seated us. Yeah, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. Say, we're united with Christ. 
medalist Olympian takes me up the lift and gives me a one-hour lesson in how to be a ski instructor. We get down to the bottom again, and he takes the red Ecole Suisse de Ski, the red ski school jacket, puts it on me and says, now you're a Swiss ski school teacher. How in the world? And then for the next month, I'm taking, I mean, I, I felt like an imposter, you know? But, and, and at first, I didn't even want to do it, but I was doing it. I, and I could never have made that happen for myself. I, all I could do is accept it. Go, okay, <laughs> never would have dreamed this up. But you know what? I never would have dreamed up the beautiful, powerful mercy and extravagant love of God that was just laid upon me through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I could never earn it. I could never measure up to get it. All I could do is accept it and say, thank you, God, for your goodness and your grace in my life. Thank you, God, for loving me that much. Thank you, God, for putting your mercy covering on me. I accept it. And, and I live in an acceptance of what God has done for me. I reject the lie from the devil that says, you don't deserve it. Take that thing off of you. Who do you think you are? No, I live in an acceptance of what God has done for me. Say, I accept what God has done for me. That I am who he says I am. That I am raised out of that pit of death. I have other options. I don't have to keep on sinning. I'm raised. And... I am seated in heavenly places. I, I can see things differently, and there's a power source that can flow into me that can enable me to do differently. And I am united with Christ, the one through whom the whole universe was created. I'm united to him. Woo! How could I not feel a sense of, a sense of courage, a sense of hope, a sense of empowerment? If that's true, and it is, I accept what God has done for me. To be who I really am, say this with me, to be who I really am, I accept what God has done for me. Accept what God has done for me. And I keep reading, it says in verse 8, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation's not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Read this next part out loud with me. Ready? Go. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. Hey, say that phrase again with me. Ready? Just that first part. Say it. We are God's masterpiece. I love that the Holy Spirit brings this message in a corporate sense. And there's no asterisk. Where at the bottom of the page it says, yeah, yeah, except for you, because come on, we all know. <laughs> no, we are God's masterpiece. That's what it says. That's the reality. And we might think of reasons why, well, not me, because the truth is that you, you are who God says you are. You're, you're his masterpiece. The word is, is poema in the original Koine Greek of the scriptures. That's where we get our word poem from. So God, God, God is working out verse after verse about who you are, and there are whole couplets and paragraphs to that poem that are yet to even be written, and I think it's time for some of us to say, all right, I'm an I'm I'm empty page. Keep writing those verses. You're the poet. I'm the page upon which you can write whatever you want, God. I am your masterpiece. I mean, that's, that's the gift. It's the truth. It sounds like we're being pompous, doesn't it? To say, well, I'm God's masterpiece. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's God's truth. Because he wants his kids to live from a healthy sense of identity. And to know who we really are is to accept what he's done for us and what he's doing for us. We are God's masterpiece. Listen to this. 
Think of a masterpiece for a moment. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of a masterpiece. Maybe you think of a Ansel Adams black and white picture of Yellowstone. Or maybe you think of some old Renoir painting. Or, or maybe you think of a Martin Scorsese film or a Quentin Tarantino film. I don't know. Masterpiece, right? Masterpiece are described certain ways. A masterpiece is described like this. Fantastic. Awe-inspiring. Intriguing. Amazing. Tremendous. Captivating. Impressive. Extraordinary. Spectacular. Powerful. Exhilarating. I mean, I could go on and on, but these are the kinds of words that describe masterpiece. And if you find yourself thinking, well, those words definitely don't describe me, I'm telling you, you're spending way too much time in front of, oh, look, there's Stubby Chubby Boy right there. I see him. Yeah, that's who I am. You know, you know you're spending too, many, too much time in front of the distortion mirror, listening to the lies of the enemy. Listen to what God says about you. You are God's masterpiece. But let's, let's break it down a little bit more. A masterpiece Let's look at an example. Here's an example of a masterpiece. This is a painting by Pablo Picasso, and it is certifiably a masterpiece. I know, I know. You look at that, and you go, really? It looks like it was done by a five-year-old. That's a masterpiece? Yeah, it's a masterpiece. That is called The Head of Woman, and it's in a gallery in Scottsdale, Arizona. Apparently, it was a portrait of his wife. <laughs> so, but that thing's in a gallery in Scottsdale, Arizona, and it's valued at $110 million. It's a masterpiece. It's not a masterpiece because of what it portrays. It's a masterpiece because of who produced it. Here's another one. Edvard Munch did this painting called The Scream. And I, when I saw that, I'm like, I could have done that. Give me a little paint, scrub, scrub, rub, rub, there, done. You know, give me my 120 million, you know. But that's a masterpiece. It is, it, that one just sold for $120 million. It's a masterpiece, not because of what it portrays, but because of who produced it. You are God's masterpiece. You've got his divine thumbprints all over you. And what we want is to get rid of the distortion thumbprints that ultimately come from the devil and let the thumbprints of God on our lives shine through and be who he's called us to be, be who we really are. And, and so what I would say is to be who I really am, I need to actualize who I am in Christ. Actualize who I am in Christ. To actualize means to make a reality. And so I'm calling you to this. To make it a reality, who you really are in Christ. Don't let it just be theological. Don't let it just be philosophical. Don't let it just be ceremonial. Hey, I, I, I have this belief and I go to church once a month. No. Now step into the reality. Actualize who you are in Christ. Be who God's really made you to be. Discover the divine thumbprints that he wants to shine through your life. Actualize it. Turn to somebody and tell them, actualize it. Don't worry, we're not getting into some weird new age thing of self-actualization. It's not about that at all. It's about actualizing who we are in Christ. It doesn't always happen automatically. You know what, a couple, it was a, I think it was a year ago or so, but my mom, my mom asked me what I wanted for Christmas. And I was thinking, you know what, I know. I want to become an artist. And so I said, well, if you're really asking, I'll tell you. I guess I, I think I want some, I want to become an artist. I want some art supplies. And so my mom gave me a... Um, 
a, a whole bunch of you know, large canvases, you know, five or six nice large blank canvases and a really nice set of acrylic paints and these nice brushes and she even gave me an easel and, and I got those things for Christmas and you know, I received it, it was a gift and I took those things and I bought a special large bin and I put them all in this special large bin. I got myself a drop cloth because then I'm gonna put out my drop cloth, I'm gonna be an artist, you know, and make a mess and make $120 million on a painting, I don't know. So I took it, I put it all in the bin and it's still there in that bin. I'm sorry, Mom. <laughs> I could make excuses. Well, it's because this happened. No, it's just still sitting there. I received that gift, and it is mine, but there's a whole lot more that I'm meant to be doing with it than just having it sit there in the bin. And I wanted to tell you today to be who you really are in Christ, powerful, strong, mighty, salt, light, a follower of Jesus that makes a dent in this world for the divine purpose to which you are called. Be who you really are. I'll wrap up with this. It says in verse 8 again, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And, and we'll just stay right there. For some of us who are believers... We need to come back to home base for a minute and remind ourselves, God saved me by his grace when all I did was believe. Because we, we've gotten a little warped. We've made some messes and some mistakes and we've screwed some things up and then we've believed, therefore, I probably don't really deserve God's love anymore. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The truth is, the way you got saved was God's grace came, and all you did was believe. So let that free you today, because you can continue to believe and can continue to experience the resurrection life of Jesus. For somebody else, if this is new for you, I want you to see that this is the truth, that you can be saved by God's grace when you believe. Believe that Jesus is the Savior and the Lord. Give him your life. Put your trust in him. Believe in him to save you. And watch him change you from the inside out for his glory. Would you take a moment and pray with me? Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for giving us a clear picture that we can say, that's who I was. That's not who I am anymore. And thank you, God, that we can accept what you've done for us and be raised, be united with you, God, thank you that, that we can receive your gift of life by grace through a moment of faith. So I'm asking for a spiritual awakening here and now. If you're here today and you would say, this is all kind of new for me and I don't know what to do. I don't know where I stand with God. I want to be right with God, but how do I do that? How you do that is in a moment in time like right now, you just simply cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe in you. Would you forgive me and save me? And then he will take hold of your life and lead you just where he wants you to go. But it starts with a moment where you would once and for all say, Jesus, I believe in you. And so maybe today, if you're here and you would say, I think that's me, I need to once and for all say, Jesus, I believe in you. Would you forgive my sin and save me? If that describes you, right now, if you would say, I need Jesus, I need to ask him to forgive my sin and save my life, right now, I want you to raise your hand. Just raise it. That's you saying, I need Jesus to forgive my sin and save my life. Just raise it up and keep it up for a moment. Right over here in the middle, thank you. Right over there in the back, in the middle, thanks. Keep it up for a moment, I wanna make sure I can connect with you. Right over here in the back, yes. 
right over there in the back in the middle. Excellent. This is your moment. Just make it known. Just raise your hand. We're going to pray together. On my right, if there's anyone, I want to make sure I don't miss you. In the back over there, thank you. Excellent. Let's pray together. Those of you who had your hands raised especially, you just take this moment and you just say, Jesus, I believe in you. Just start right there. First rung of the ladder. <laughs> just start there. Just say it. Jesus, I believe in you. In fact, everybody, all together, lift your voice and say it with me. Jesus, I believe in you. Would you forgive my sin and save my life? I believe you paid for the sin when you died on the cross. I believe you're alive. You conquered death. So come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. I'm yours, and I always will be. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.